Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the WPB Health Consulting Podcast, where we bring clarity to coaching. On today's podcast, we're going to have Gina Scofolio. Gina is an IFBB pro bodybuilder, along with being a health and performance coach. Today, we're going to get into the depths of contest prep, especially for athletes who are struggling a little bit from the social side of things. Understanding the relationships with others during a contest prep is something that is not very talked about, guys. We want to make sure we have clarity with it. How to communicate effectively and overall improve our outcomes so that when we come in or out of a contest prep, we know how to handle fatigue, psychological fatigue specifically, along with our training and nutrition. You guys, this is the topic that needs to be discussed in our contest prep athletes. Make sure that you guys share this, like this, or if it get, gives you any value whatsoever, you let us know. All right, guys, let's get into the podcast and see how Gina brings clarity to coaching. What's up, everybody? This is Austin from WPB Health Consulting. I'm here with Gina Scafolio. She is going to be talking about today relationships within contest prep. And for those who are either a beginner competitor or are just repeated um, individuals who have a veteran status of returning to stage, she's going to be our expert today. She is an IFBB pro along with being um, a coach as well. So thank you, Gina, for having taking time out of your day to be a part of our podcast. Um, can you tell our listeners who you are and a little bit more information about you? Yeah, so I am 26 years old. I've been competing, uh, I think it's been about four years now. So I did a few amateur shows. I turned pro in 2019 at USA's, did my pro debut a week later. And then since then, I've done two more pro shows. Right now, I'm in the middle of a very long off season. Um, so I'm a little bit more into um, the lifestyle aspect of it and uh, things like mindset, relationships, and kind of just preparing for the next season as well as preparing my clients. So I also do competition prep and lifestyle coaching. I actually prefer lifestyle a little bit more just because I feel like that's super, super important to set up competitors, which we can talk about a little bit later. But I think that's a huge step that a lot of competitors miss is like mastering the basics. So that's what I really, really like to focus on. And then from there, you know, if you're ready to compete, then we'll go for it. But yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for that awesome introduction. So obviously she has a practical application of knowing what she's doing, uh, of stepping on stage and even at the pro level. So you guys are in for an awesome treat. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, you mentioned going back to essentially basics of mm -hmm. developing relationships with food. Is this what derived you to become a coach or is there a specific reason of um, your journey of becoming a coach? So I've always been, I feel like a, a pretty natural leader. I've always been somewhat outgoing, never afraid to like take charge. If there was a, a group project or a, something team related, I was always the one that was ready to like lead other people. I also feel like I'm very good at explaining things and advice. So I, I kind of was on my own fitness journey for a long time, had my own struggles. I finally got my stuff together uh, a couple of years into college. And once I started like really making my first big transformation, and then after that, I went into a competition prep after that, 
I had a ton of people asking me like, what are you doing? Like, because I had so many friends, both friends and coworkers. And I was a bartender at the time. So all of my regulars at the bar, they're like, what are you doing? And from there, I was able to be like, okay, well, actually, this is what I did here with nutrition. This is what I did with my training because I did struggle for so long. And they knew, you know, I was going to the gym, I was busting my butt, but I wasn't really seeing results until I got past like those, those specific, I guess, barricades. But once I realized that people were asking me for advice and I was able to give them that advice and I was pretty good at it and they started making progress, I was like, okay, maybe I can go down this route and uh, make it more of a career. Yeah, it sounds like your, your journey has been super impactful with starting from, you know, pretty much any everyday interaction to now building, obviously, a business off of that. Um, so let's go into that a little bit more. Um, you know, what inspired you to really take it a step further and do this as a business, um, truthfully, or as a coach? Um, and talk about some of your barriers that you were able to overcome to achieve, essentially, these goals goals as a coach yes i think it was okay so i think the the biggest hurdle was going from working a full-time job you know not necessarily nine to five because i was bartending but it was still 40 hours a week it was more like you know 4 p.m to 2 a.m or whatever <laughs> right um but you know i think the biggest hurdle was like going from that, even though bartending doesn't seem like a secure job, I did feel like very secure with it. Even if I, you know, that restaurant slowed down or I got fired or I quit or whatever happened, there's always a dozen other restaurants. And I always felt like, you know, if I showed up to a job interview, I got to talk to the manager, I would get the job. So I felt very, very secure with that. And I actually did not go to school for anything related to nutrition, to training. So I didn't have that background. I went to school for film production um, it was, um, electronic media and communication. So it was kind of, you know, video production, editing, animation, all of that good stuff. I thought that I was going to go into film production and then, you know, the school that I went to wasn't very hands-on and I thought it would be. And instead of spending all of my extra time, like teaching myself how to do those things, I found myself in the gym. And over time, like I realized that it wasn't my gym or like the gym that was my hobby it was my passion and like videography was my hobby. So it was kind of vice versa. Um, so I graduated with a degree that is not applicable to what I was doing. And so I just, I was like, I don't know what to do now. I kept bartending. And that, that lasted another, I would say two years before I was able to transition like from, you know, bartending, I was just making people meal plans and workout plans on the side and doing my own independent research. I prepped myself. So that's where a lot of my research came from was like figuring out how I was going to prep myself and compete. And then from there, I was able to like quit that job. I worked at Orange Theory part-time at the front desk while I was like building up my business, like getting more and more clients. And once I realized like, okay, I can pay my bills and I might be able to live off of this coaching thing, I burned the boats, quit Orange Theory, and then went full force into online coaching. So that's that was kind of just the main hurdle was just that transition from working that quote unquote nine to five job to full-time coaching. And a lot of it was like the confidence, the confidence aspect. Um, and I forgot the other part of your question. Yeah. So basically it sounds like your, your barriers you were able to overcome were several things. Um, one was, you know, obviously the, the, the barrier for getting an education seemed like it, it might have distraught you, but actually pushed you towards 
um, what you truthfully wanted to do and able to use your passion more and identify your hobbies. And then the second thing was being able to take the full-time leap, you know, as a coach, which is something that um, a lot of so, a lot of competitors or a lot of people who are in the health and fitness industry are, are trying to do for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think you answered that pretty much spot on. Um, so let's go into the next question here. Um, kind of getting more so of your opinion from the coaching side of things. Um, what are some ways um, for your clients to ask for support for people in their life when they decide it could be, or what are some ways that you ask for support for people in your life when you decide to compete? So I think the biggest thing here is communication and having an open line of communication with people that you're close to. And I think that that could be very difficult for a lot of people, especially if they feel like, oh, my family's gonna judge me or my friends are, are gonna judge me or whatever the case is. But you know, if you do care about them and you hope that they care about you, I think it's worth taking a shot to just having that open line of communication. So. Something that I might say, you know, to my friends, for example, I'd be like, hey, I'm going into a competition prep. And this is something that I did not do my first prep, by the way, because I really didn't have any expectation of what it was going to be. I wasn't on social media, like, you know, wasn't all over Instagram at this point. And I, I didn't have a coach. I didn't know anyone that competed except for my boyfriend at the time. Um, so with that, I, I didn't really know what to expect. But looking back, I would say, and, and this is what I could do or what I did like with my preps after that, but communicating to my friends like, hey, I'm not going to be able to go out every weekend, even if it's just to dinner or to lunch or if we want to go out for drinks at night. But would you please still invite me? Because a lot of times you are going to say no. You know, you're going to have either low energy or maybe you're not going to be in the best mood or you kind of want to get some sleep. Sometimes you're just drained and you just like want to go to sleep early. Um, but there are other times where you do want to socialize. And even though you don't, you can't go out and drink or you can't go out and eat the same food, you can still go out and, and have a good time. But I think that was something that really sucked was, you know, my friends would invite me out like over and over and over. And I would say, no, no, no. And then eventually they would stop inviting me. And I felt like, at, you know, I would feel left out or I felt like I didn't have friends. So that was one thing is like, hey, these are my, these are the expectations. Like, I'm not going to be able to go out all the time. I'm not going to be able to drink or eat food, but I would love if you still invited me. And then two would be like, could we please do like a movie night or like do something that doesn't involve food and alcohol. So kind of just like changing up those social situations or expectations. Um, something else would be um, not pressuring me. So that's something that people love to do. Um, and it, it, they have good intentions but it can be very frustrating and it can almost be hurtful in a way. It's like you go out to, let's say it's like someone's birthday party and they're like, here, just eat a bite of cake. Like it won't hurt you, just eat a bite of cake. And you're like, I can't. And they're like, just do it, just do it. And I, I've actually had a client where like her uncle just kept sit, like pressuring her to eat some cake at a birthday party. And she literally broke down crying like in front of the whole party. Wow. And so that was something that could have been pop, like potentially could have been avoided if she was like, hey guys, I'm on prep, please don't offer me food. So I think, I think the biggest thing with like, you know, maintaining relationships is just setting those expectations and boundaries beforehand, before those situations arise. Because when you're in that moment, sometimes not everything is going to go as planned or emotions might get in the way or whatever mm -hmm. it is, might be. Yeah. So I want to elaborate off that. You mentioned a lot of really good things with developing good relationships and open communication. Do you feel like that's changed with you becoming a 
uh, a pro now versus when you were in the NPC as an amateur? Or do you think, think things have evolved in a different way of communication with your friends or with your family? Um, and can you elaborate on that? To be honest, I don't really feel like there is a difference, but I, I kind of just had that pro mindset even as an amateur. That's why I was so successful as an amateur right off the bat was I was just immediately like in that mindset, like die hard, obsessed with what I was doing. Um, so I really don't think very much has changed at all from my mindset or my relationships going from an amateur to pro status. Sure, yeah. Do you, do you feel like with your more of your lifestyle or everyday clients that you're seeing, um, like you said, the relationship with pressure tactics and food, like at social situations, or is there a common theme that you see with those individuals? It's definitely something where you get better with it over time. I know I have, I've had clients that they just start out tracking their food, for example. This isn't necessarily competitors only. This is both lifestyle and competitors, but let's say they're new to tracking food. Their friends don't, aren't really fitness oriented, like their family isn't fitness oriented and they go to a restaurant and I'm like, hey, if you're gonna go out to eat, ask them to cook your food without oil or without butter. Because a lot of times like, you know, you order fajitas at a Mexican restaurant, you just order fajitas, it's it's chicken and beef. There's, and whatever toppings you wanna put on, but it's just straight meat. Mm -hmm. But the reason that they sizzle is because they take a huge, maybe half a cup of butter and dump it on the hot plate and the fajitas. So there you go. I don't know, four or 500 calories added to, you know, the lean protein. So I tell my clients, whether they're prep or lifestyle, like, hey, ask the waiter, you can order your food without, without butter, without oil. And they're embarrassed you. They're like, I, I, I kind of like, I don't want to put myself in that position. Like, I think my friends or my family might think I'm crazy. And it starts out that way. But over time, you know, by the end of a three or six month period, they have absolutely no problem asking the waiter for those little extra things to take off or maybe like bringing a Tupperware to a dinner instead of like eating from the restaurant or like a birthday party or something like that. So I think the, the main pattern that I would see is just like, it, it takes time, but also takes the willingness to try and like make an effort because you are gonna feel uncomfortable at first, but over time, it's just gonna be whatever and your friends will adapt, your family will adapt, hopefully your partner will adapt too. Yeah. I like that. I like how you talk about like overcoming barriers over time. I, I like how the, the lifestyle change is not an overnight success. Yeah. And it, it's those small habits and it's not like you're requesting them to completely change their life 100%. So I think that's really cool that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, um, especially in leading off of that, some competitors tend to drop out during a prep because of whether it's too much for them, overwhelming, uh, whether it's dieting, whether it's training, whether it's combination of both, whether it's social situations like we talked about. Um, can you list some stages of dropout during a prep um, in competitors that you've seen? And this doesn't necessarily have to see, say your clients, but how does this usually come up and how do you break that down to help um, either prevent them from dropping out of like a contest prep or or prevent them from making a huge like light switch change, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So my, one of the biggest things that I talk about on my social media when it comes to competing is prepping for your prep. That's always been a theme for me because that's what I did to set myself up for prep. And 
and set myself up for success. And that's why I haven't run into a lot of issues. I've never rebounded. The most weight I've, I've gained post-show is maybe 20 pounds. Um, and that was after surgery. So prepping for, for your prep is going to be the ultimate way to prevent one, burning out, two, burning out, then dropping out. And then three, if you do complete the whole process, you step on stage, whether you do well or you don't do well, according to your own standards, you're not going to either rebound or have, you know, some kind of like post-show depression after you after you compete. But prepping for your prep would entail one, the, the physiological aspect of making sure that your hormones are healthy and your metabolism is strong. That is the number one reason people are going to drop out from a show is, or they have too much weight to lose. Um, because if you have too much weight to lose, ultimately by the end of the process, you're probably going to have wrecked your hormones and your metabolism. Mm -hmm. But, you know, let's say you have a client eating, I don't know, 1200 calories doing 30 minutes of cardio as a lifestyle client, and they have 25, 30 pounds to lose by the end of prep, maybe even by the middle of prep, they're going to be down to a thousand calories doing two hours of cardio. And that's not sustainable for anyone. That's, I mean, that's very, very extreme. And, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately that's very common, like a thousand calories sounds absolutely ridiculous, but, and, you know, females, especially bikini, especially that's a very, very common thing for mm -hmm. competitors to be eating that low of food, doing, doing that much cardio. Um, and I think that's why so many competitors do drop out is because one, it's just, it's just not sustainable, but you literally will start going crazy, right? You're just moody, you're drained, you're emotional, and that's going to affect your relationships. That's going to affect your ability to concentrate and do work. You know, your brain runs off glucose. If you're coach or yourself, you're not giving yourself any carbs. Um, if you're not doing keto, you know, you're just doing like a low carb diet or whatever, you know, you're, you're literally not going to be able to function. And you're going to come to a point where you're physically overtrained, you're mentally drained, you're burned out. And you lose sight of, of why you did it in the first place, because it's just so overwhelming. And I think I don't, I don't necessarily like see stages of dropout per se. I think it's more so you, a competitor might hit that point halfway through prep and a competitor might hit that point when they're three weeks out from the show and they still drop out. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that makes sense. And I, one thing I really want to highlight is what you mentioned earlier was prepping for your prep. If you right. don't do your homework ahead of time and set yourself up for success, then like you said, like most of the individuals who are dropping out, if they're starting at a low, extremely low, uh, you know, calorie consumption, and then, you know, basically driving off no calories, it's going right. to run them into the ground. So I think that's a really, really good point that you made with that. So um, doing your homework ahead of time and really setting yourself up for success is, is true so much. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. So let's say a client of yours is getting pretty deep into prep and they've done their homework. They're, they're at the point now where it's pretty fatiguing psychologically. Mm -hmm. um, tell me more about how do you help mitigate that psychological fatigue in your clients and decision-making during a dieting phase. Um, I've seen coaches in the past um, and present here, um, they'll do diet breaks or refeeds um, or talk about coaching with stress management. So to repeat the question, how do you help mitigate your client's psychological fatigue and decision-making during this, this phase? So I think one of the biggest things is, is time and stress management. So I think 
something that I have a business coach actually is it's Brian Mark, but something that he says in, in one of his podcasts or in some of his live videos is that being overwhelmed is a mindset. It's not, um, it's not just like a natural occurrence. It's a mindset that you have and you have to take that from being overwhelmed to being organized. So something that I do try to teach my clients is time management. And that could be in multiple different forms, but just to give you one example, it could be, you know, you have your kids, you have your job, now you have your prep goals and you have, um, I don't know, your husband or your, your wife or whatever. So you have all of these priorities and it's very, very overwhelming for you to think that you have to prioritize all four things every single day. Once, once you try to like, you know, focus on four things and like be 100% on all four of those things every day, that's when you get overwhelmed, you get burned out, and then you want to toss in the towel, or you just let that stress keep accumulating and compounding over time to the point where you might drop out from the show, or you might have a mental breakdown, which is also very common. So one tactic that I would be like, okay, let's have different themes for different days. So um, or let's say they're in school. So I'd be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, dedicate two hours to studying. Those are going to be the days where you focus on studying. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, those could be the days that you devote to your fitness goals. So maybe Tuesday, you go grocery shopping. Thursday, you spend the extra time meal prepping. And then maybe Saturday is like your me day. And, and maybe you finish off with like hanging out with your kids. And Sunday is the day that you devote to your husband or your wife. So that's just like one example of, of time management. And then I'll also give them like specific examples too. And then with stress management, I just really emphasize the importance of mindset work. So, you know, the difference in, in like how much stress you can reduce with reading a book versus watching Netflix is actually pretty significant if you look at studies. So I teach my clients, okay, let's read self development books, you know, let's journal. Um, journal gratitude. Um, another thing would be meditation, going on walks outside. So just finding things, whether we're building a morning routine or an evening routine or implementing them through the day, I think that's one of the biggest ways that we can prevent burnout is just keeping a very strong mindset and doing those things to relieve stress when it's not just like self-indulgent, like taking a bubble bath or like painting your nails or doing a face mask. Like if you want to consider that self-care, you can. I just consider it self-indulgent because it's not helping you in the long run. It's just a very short-term pleasure, short-term fix. Maybe it will relax you, but you know, an hour later, you might not feel the same. Whereas these other activities can actually benefit you in the long-term and help you maintain that, that stress-free stress state for an extended period of time. Yeah, I like what you define there as self-indulgent. That's a really big thing I want to highlight. So you almost have the difference between self-indulgent, self-care, and long-term care. Um, and so that's basically what it sounds like you're breaking down of, hey, what are the habits I can do long-term in, sh in short-term, like daily activities, so it doesn't become self-indulgent and go backwards or, or at least stay the same. So I, I like how you mentioned that. And then I also like how you mentioned um, everyone is busy. That's that's the thing. Like everyone is busy. And so I love how you really highlight that where you're like, let's create themes. Everyone is busy. Everyone has a has a schedule. We just need to like bring some clarity to that. And so um, I really like how you mentioned mentioned that. That was really, really good. Um, so let's talk about our next question here. So let's say we have a, a client like we were just mentioning when your clients are working full time and 
how do you educate and empower your clients for more uh, successful relationships before, during, and after prep so that they can come into a prep and be successful? Um, and then after a prep, they can transition into a, a successful um, relationship with whoever they're with. Yeah. So I think that's actually very similar to my answer from the last question is, yes, you can focus on the specific relationships. And a lot of that is going to be communication, but I think focusing on yourself and building a strong mindset and building those habit, healthy habits, that's going to keep you in a peaceful state. I think that's really what it, what it boils down to, because if you can stay in a peaceful state and you can let things go, because that's, you know, when you're in, you're in prep, you're overtrained, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed out. Sometimes you don't have enough testosterone, your estrogen's too high and you're just overly emotional and the smallest thing might set you off. But if you can actually balance that out with like keeping a very strong mindset, that's going to help preserve your relationships, both with yourself, but also with other people. So that's, that's the component that I, I brought into my coaching process, maybe two years ago, maybe even a little bit less than that, but I was having, you know, I've prepped clients for several years now and they almost every client I've had every single client, except for one do first call outs. And the, the one that didn't, you know, she was too lean. That was like her feedback was being too lean, but I was starting to see, like, even though I, I took them through a successful prep like physically, mentally, there was certain clients that were like really suffering and I wasn't necessarily guiding them with these things. And then after prep, they would also have, they would have those struggles, whether it was their relationship with food or their relationship with their significant other had been damaged, or they just didn't have like, you know, the strongest self-worth. And so once I started seeing that pattern over and over and over, I was like, okay, something needs to change. And that's when I brought in the mindset aspect to my coaching. And I feel like that has made, you know, a complete 180 turn with one, you know, how they go through the prep and feel throughout the prep, but then also the aftermath isn't necessarily that messy of a cleanup. Yeah, I like that. I like how you highlight a lot of different things. Um, first is the physiological, like you mentioned, like the physiological getting someone to stage lean. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that how some coaches don't necessarily ask those feedback questions with their clients of how are things going with your relationships outside of food and training, right? Like, how is your relationship with your family or your friends? How is that going? And, and I like how you discuss like earlier in the podcast of setting some expectations, communication, and then transitioning that all the way through a prep and after a prep. So that's really, really good. What, um, so was that the main driver for you was um, like having your competitors in that boat? And do you implement that with every single competitor that you have? Is that something that you're trying to do? Yeah. So I, I think I realized it more with myself because I started doing these things. Um, I don't even know the timeline, to be honest, I would guess like two years ago, that's when I started reading and journaling and meditation and walking outside instead of just walking in the treadmill and uh, listening to podcasts and YouTube videos. And I saw such a big difference one with my relationships and with myself, but also with how I was attacking a prep because just like everyone else, my, I feel like the first prep is usually the hardest. And I was like, I was in a very like victim mindset, like poor me, I'm suffering, this sucks. And I was projecting that onto my other, like my social media and like other relationships. And I was just not a good vibe to be around. And 
I, I realized that like in retrospect, but in the moment you're just kind of like so stuck in that like victim mentality sure. that it's, it's very hard to see the big picture. But I started working on myself because I realized, okay, I'm not happy. Um, I'm not happy with like how I am. I'm not happy with where my relationships are. I feel like I could have stronger friendships or, or whatever the case is. And once I saw that progress there and I went into a prep after that, my next preps were like a breeze. Like people didn't even know I was prepping for a show unless I told them. They just thought I was like, oh, are you doing a cut or are you lean? But it was because my attitude was like a, a completely different than my other preps or compared to other competitors. So that was one thing. And then uh, you asked if I implement that with every competitor. I have that in my check-in form for all of my lifestyle clients and my competitors. So I actually have maybe 90, 95% lifestyle clients. I only prep a handful of clients at one time. Um, that's just my personal preference. I don't like to juggle too many balls at once, especially with, with competitors. And um, especially because I do focus on all of these other aspects, not just like, here's your, here's your cookie cutter meal plan with mm -hmm. only chicken and broccoli. And here's your workout that I give to every client and check in with me once a week. And that's it. Mm -hmm. I do feel like I, I try to have a little bit more hands-on process. So, you know, I have less competitors, but the point, the point is it's in my check-in form. So I have goals. I asked for their, their, their goals from last week. Did they achieve them? What are your goals for this week? What are you going to do to achieve them? But I don't just have that. I have my wealth and relationships. So I see life as three different tiers of health, wealth, and relationships. And you want to find a healthy balance with all three of those because they do work synonymously with each other. And, you know, if you have your health together, but your relationships are failing and you're, you know, you're broke as hell, you know, eventually your health is going to suffer too. And then vice versa with the other two categories. So I have that part in my check-in and we talk about it on a weekly basis with um, all of my clients, as long as they're willing to work on those things. I don't force them to, but 99% of them are going to fill out that part of the check-in. Right. That's, that's huge. I like that health, wealth, and relationships. Uh, and then also getting like that feedback in their check-in forms. I think that's very, very important. Um, so Make sure if you guys are prepping right now, or if you're just a lifestyle client, make sure you're checking in with your coach about those things. <laughs> it's not necessarily all about weight. Um, and that's something that I feel like a lot of people have that um, misinformation about. So thanks for hitting that hard. Um, let's go into um, the last couple of questions here. So um, let's say a competitor is right before competition there and it's their first competition, or it could be it a bigger competition. Mm -hmm. um, there are many factors that can cause that psychological stress prior to that competition. How do you help or how would you suggest an athlete can prepare for this upcoming competition? If it's a bigger competition, like let's say it's a pro show or if it's their first competition, how do you help alleviate some of that stress or what would you recommend to help alleviate some of that stress from your experience? I think it's a case by case basis, but I'll kind of ask them where their mind is, like what, what they're thinking about. And oftentimes it will be like, oh, well, I'm looking at the, like, let's say they're going into, let's say it's their first show and they're doing the San Antonio, the San Antonio extravaganza. That was like my first show. You can actually search that hashtag and you can look at all the other competitors that are about to do that show. And that's something that I was doing. That's something I do for every show and other competitors do that too. They might get in their head about it and they'll be like, well, I'm, I feel like I'm 10 pounds away from stage weight, but this person already looks ready. Like, like they already look ready. 
what if I'm not ready in time? Like, do I need to be leaner? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if that competitor is telling me that they're comparing themselves, then I'm like, okay, shut it down. Stop, stop comparing yourself on social media. If you're following a bunch of competitors right now, maybe you need to like mute them. And like, I don't know, let's say you're passionate about astrology or something like that. Like those are the accounts that you need to follow. Go follow a bunch of astrology pages or like some fun facts or like whatever, maybe some mindset pages or some spiritual whatever, but like you need to mute or unfollow all of the people that you're looking at and it's giving you that negative view view of yourself. You're comparing yourself. Mm -hmm. So that would just be one example. if they are, let's say they are, they're worried about their posing. They're like, oh, like I know posing is my weakest point and I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. And I'm like, how much are you practicing? Like, honestly, how much are you practicing um, every day? And I'm like, well, I'm practicing like five times a week. I'm like, well, you should be practicing if that's your weak spot and you want to come into this competition feeling very, very confident about your posing. You should be posing 15 minutes, three times a day. You know, if you're going to dedicate yourself to a prep and you want to be going into that with that like 100% confidence, then you have to take the actions to like make that happen too. So I think it's just a case by case basis. I'll ask them what they're going through, what their thoughts are, and then try to give solutions for them. And then if that solution doesn't work, then we're going to problem solve and find another solution. If that doesn't work, then we're going to problem solve and find another solution. I like that. The critical thinking that you put out there is really, really good with one is the comparisons. I think that that's a really good one. And I don't think that's necessarily just in competitors, but also in general, like lifestyle, people are comparing themselves constantly to a, whatever their standard of what they believe, like, or perceive that they Mm -hmm. want to become. Um, But I, I see that in, in mentioning the one where they're comparing themselves against other athletes at the competition. That is something I see quite frequently. So I would actually totally agree with that. We're transitioning instead of deleting, I always say extreme um, elimination of certain things, especially in your lifestyle can really cause some negative effects down downstream. Yeah. Um, so like you said, transitioning instead from, you know, hey, I'm just following all competitors at this show to like the, I like the astrology one, but like, Hey, whatever your fix is, go for it. Right. Like, I mean, that's one of my friends, one of my best friends, um, Ali Bess, she, uh, She's a fitness, she's like a fitness influencer, if you want to call it that, but um, she works with Alphalete and Ghost and she's working out every day and all of her content is pretty much fitness related, Mm -hmm. but she does not like to follow other fitness people like that's, Mm -hmm. and she talks about that too on her page like she's she's passionate about astrology and history and like all the accounts that she follows is like astrology and history. And like, she'll, she'll like follow and support people that she knows or like people that she wants to support, but she's not just going to like follow a bunch of fitness models because she might compare herself or like, she just doesn't want that constantly, all of those images going in her head. She would rather like soak up something informational that she's, um, passionate about. So I really, I really like that she does that. And I didn't really think about ever doing that until I found out she did. And now I recommend it to other people. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really huge. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen it in, and I know we're kind of trending towards like bikini girls specifically in this, but also I've seen that in a lot of male athletes as well, um, mm-hmm. where they're doing the same exact things. It's not necessarily a difference of gender or anything like that. It's just literally everyone is doing it and is, is making a comparison. Um, so I think that that's, like you said, a transition of that is stop with the stopping the extreme and transitioning into a more um, lateral approach with that. So 
I will say before we move on, yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily everyone either. And I think that that's a, uh, that's something that's so, so it's like a, such a common theme is like, stop comparing yourself. It's you against you. I'm like, no, it's not you against you. You're stepping on stage with uh, 20 other competitors. It's you against them. And so if you have that like super strong competitor mindset, like to your core, you're just like a very competitive person and you can look at other people and other physiques and not let it bring you down. That's me. That is literally me to a T. I've been competitive my whole life. And my first show, I, I, that's when I finally started following like some fitness people and competitors. And I remember them saying like, don't ever compare yourself. And Justin, my boyfriend was like, I told him, like, I was like, yeah, I'm on the, the San Antonio extravaganza hashtag. And he's like, stop doing that. But what happened was I saw those competitors. I realized like some of them were leaner than me. And I was like, I, I realized that I was like a little too confident and I put my foot to the gas. I was like, they are not going to freaking beat me. And I pushed even harder and like, it did not hurt my confidence. If anything, that is the reason I won. So it has to be, it's always like, it's always circumstantial. It's always a case by case or person by person basis. But I don't think, you know, everything has to be definite. Like if you want to compare yourself and that fires you up and that makes you push harder then compare yourself. But if you do, you have to have self-awareness, especially as a competitor. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you find that you are comparing yourself and it's bringing you down, that's when you need to take the steps to make that transition too. Yeah. I love that, man. You're getting me fired up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one thing I want to keep going off of this topic too, is what you mentioned with the objectivity of, of truthfully, like in a person by person basis, but also if you are a competitive person and you're objectively looking at, you know, like you said, if I'm competing against this person and I'm being realistic with myself, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're a type of competitor where you can see like differences in that, I think that's, that's very important if you are using that. For example, uh, like leanness is a, is a good example um, where you could see competitors based on somewhat on their pictures. It's kind of hard, but right. like you can really kind of see the standard of, okay, how, how truthfully, how aggressive do we need to be here in the next couple of weeks? So I think that's really, really important. Yeah. but thank you for sharing that that got me really fired up um that's really really cool um so last thing last question here um as we summarize and wrap things up here um what communications tools do you use to establish stronger client relationships and what i mean by that is are you messaging them i know you have a check-in form i know you already said that but are you messaging them are you sending them videos um how are they communicating with you um to develop that stronger relationship so with my clients, I have all of them train on a coaching platform called Trainerize. So it's it's all in one and it's, it's very easy. If you are a coach, definitely look into it. It helps you stay organized, but your programs are going to be there. If that's where you put their macros and their meal plans, everything's in one spot and there's a messaging platform. So that messaging platform, all of my clients and I have an ongoing conversation in there. And I really leave it up to the client with how much they communicate. I have very self-sufficient clients where they check in once a week. Um, I have a weekly option or a bi-weekly if they want to check in every other week. I have the option as well, not competitors, but lifestyle. But there's some clients that I'll talk to once a week or once every other week, and they're very self-sufficient. They got their stuff together. They don't need that much help. They're more, or accountability, they're more so just like need that guidance or they just need, you know, the specific macros or workout plans. But then I also have clients that either one, they want to be a little bit more hands-on with the process. And so I'm messaging them every other day or every day because they have questions or they are just like very 
uh, keen on learning. They're like, I want to learn more. I want to get as much as I can out of this coaching process, or they just feel the need that they, they, if they talk to me more, they're going to have more accountability, which a lot of, I mean, that is the case with most people. So I leave the communication level up to my client. If they want to talk to me every day, we're going to talk every day. Um, and then also with the check-in, the check-in form. So they'll fill out a form. They'll tell me about their week, what they did well with, what they struggled with. Mm-hmm. And I send a video response in return. So again, that that's totally dependent on the information that they give me and how much help they need. Sometimes I'll send them a two minute video just saying, hey, great job. This is what you need to focus on. This is what we need to change. Or I might be a 15, 20 minute of me ranting about, hey, you need to get your shit together. Or, um, you know, they might be like, hey, I'm really struggling uh, with my mindset. I don't know what to do. And so I'll give them a more in-depth response on like how they can help mitigate that. So I think the video response is super helpful because one, they get that, that they see my face, you know, that that alone will help. But then also a lot of times words can be read wrong. You know, if you, uh, if you send someone a text and you don't send an emoji with it and they read it with the wrong tone, then it could be like totally misconstrued. And I've had that problem in the past where I'll send a message and I'm just trying to give them tough love, but they just get really offended by it. They take it personally. So I think that video really helps build the relationship and make sure that, you know, the message that I'm sending comes across clearly. They also get a little bit closer connection with me. And then um, I offer this as well. My clients can do a FaceTime or a phone call check-in once a month. So I don't have time to do that every single week or every single check-in with the amount of clients that I, I would like to coach. Um, but it is, um, it is doable for like a monthly thing. So that's an option for them as well. Yeah. I like how you highlight a lot of their different techniques, but you're truthfully meeting them where they're at. And Mm -hmm. so based on how much um, that they need or require for communication, I think that's really good. And I like the tools that you use to essentially empower them. Um, Because like you said, if you read a text and I think the statistic is like 7% of how you interpret like words is just from the words itself, only 7%. So tone, all of those things are definitely important. Inflection, deflection, stuff like that. I think that's really important. So I think you have- And it's gonna totally depend on the mood you're in. Like if if the client's in a bad mood or like, you know, they're not having the best day and then they get this like tough love message from their coach, they're gonna be like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) you know, I've had clients literally quit because of a message that, but I'm like, I have the best intentions. And since I started yeah. doing uh, either a voice memo or the video, never once has a message like come across the wrong way because they know it's coming from love. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really, really important, guys, is just make sure if you're listening to this that you understand that words only communicate a certain amount. It's how you interpret them is the yeah. most important thing. So I like those techniques that you use. Um, so Okay, last question here. I know it's it's not something um, that we have really prepared, but we always ask our, our our guests here on our podcast. The last question is our mission of bringing clarity to coaching. So how do you bring clarity to coaching? And how do you bring clarity to coaching to your clients specifically? I'm making you think on your feet here. Yeah, you are, you are. How do I bring clarity to coaching? Mm-hmm. I think it's just setting expectations, setting expectations as a coach, as just being very clear and concise on what I expect from my clients. And I also just provide every opportunity that I can, like, hey, you have the opportunity to ask questions. 
You have the opportunity to tell me if you don't like something. You have the opportunity to reach out anytime you need help, whether it's personal or family or friends, or it's like your actual protocol that you're struggling with. So I just, I feel like I put everything out there that I possibly can, not only in the, you know, the intro packet or the, I have like an onboarding video, but also like through my social media. And I try to be like very transparent about the type of coach that I am, the type of person that I am. And, um, you know, I just try to attract the, the clients that are looking for what I have to offer. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it absolutely does. Okay. I, I think, like you said, you're, you're meeting your clients where they're at and that's, that's, and you're empowering them through your coaching style. That's something that you're, you're mentioning a lot throughout this podcast and seems to be a very common thing and very important for, for your clients to understand that. So I love, I love that. I think that's really, really important. And I like how you talked about all of the topics we did today regarding communication, relationship strategies, how to mitigate stress and fatigue, especially during prep. But um, we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast unit. It was an absolute pleasure having you on here, especially talking from experience of, you know, being a IFBB pro, but also a coach and, a, and working from literally, um, like you said, a part-time opportunity to now full-time coaching. So we really appreciate all of your experience and everything you have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a, it was a good time. Awesome.